Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. series just talking about unity, uh, recognizing that uh, we live in a context where probably more than, I, than I've experienced in my lifetime, there are Christians on social media. Well, there wasn't even social media for most of my lifetime. I'm that old. Um, but there are Christians that are just arguing, just, just fighting about stuff, just, just uh, in, in actually, uh, in some cases, some fairly challenging battle with one another. Like there's, there's some, some difficulties going on. Um, and we really wanted to talk about, um, sorry for no slides today, by the way, we really wanted to talk about that unity and sort of what it means and to really orient ourselves before we got into any sort of discussion about how we do uh, difficulty, how we do disagreement together, uh, to get into some uh, things that are going to be foundational for us, uh, some things that are going to really help us be anchored around the same language, the same truths of the scriptures, what the what the Bible is about, what we're called to, what we share in common. And what we did was we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, um, and this is Paul uh, sort of talking to the church in Ephesus. He's kind of calling them to unity, and he sort of reminds them, uh, hey, we, I want you to be eager um, to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And, he, and this is how he says to do it. He, he reminds them of this. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so we sort of started talking about that last week. We went from the bottom up, starting with the father bit, uh, who is uh, over all, through all, and in all, uh, talking about the, the sort of uniting power of recognizing that we have a triune God that we serve. Because what we see in this little passage in Ephesians is just kind of a mini creed. And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to go on to the next thing that Paul talks about. Again, he's building from, the, from sort of the top down. We're going to build from the bottom up, and we're going to talk about what it means to share uh, one baptism. So this week we'll be looking at that. What does the experience uh, and the meaning of baptism in water mean for us? How does that uh, unite us? Um, many of you here um, were probably baptized um, when you uh, sort of came to be 12, 13 years old. Uh, my background is Baptist and sort of we believe that people get baptized when they sort of come to an age where they want to make a decision to follow Christ and it's their own choice. Some of you may have grown up uh, being baptized as infants, but your experience of baptism as an adult, if you'll remember, you're, you're basically dunked under the water and then you're lifted up out of it, and somebody would say, I've baptized you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that's your, your baptism. But what it is, is it's taking something that is, you know, a seemingly simple act, go into the water, go under it, uh, come out, but it's dramatizing uh, a much bigger reality. Baptism is meant to dramatize and symbolize a much greater reality. I remember my baptism uh, at Canada Baptist Church uh, when I was a kid, and uh, I was probably 16, 17 years old, and I remember some basic things about it. I remember that I forgot to take my wool socks off, and so when I got out of the baptismal tank, uh, I went sloshing across the floor with big pools of water following me. I remember the youth pastor had a rubber ducky in there. 
Um, I remember it kind of as an event. I remember it in some ways as, okay, this is a, a way of me communicating to the church body what I understand. I understand that Jesus has cleansed me. I understand that I'm uh, buried uh, with Christ. And I understand that I'm about to experience a resurrection life, that that's what the Christian journey is about. But uh, it's, it's possible for us to have those things, those moments in our history, those moments in our memory, and not really uh, recognize the present reality of them, the big why behind them. But the big why behind baptism, why we did that, those of us that were, were baptized, um, is, is something that's meant to speak to our day-to-day. -day. It's something that's meant to speak to the way that I live when I get up tomorrow morning. Not just something that I remember about whether I was wearing my socks or not and whether I had a rubber ducky in a baptismal tank. It's meant to be more. So I want to go straight to the scriptures and pull some of Paul's realities of that experience out. What Paul knows about baptism. What Paul was teaching the churches about it. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So the first thing is we think of our baptism as a fairly highly individualistic thing. I decided to do it. I talked to the pastor about it. I went down into the water. Um, I was baptized and all of the people around me were watching my baptism experience. Um, from Paul's perspective, he, he knows that's, of course, how baptism happens. But what he wants you to understand is that baptism isn't just an individual experience. It's a baptism into something. It's a baptism into a community. Uh, we should probably symbolize it better if we had a couple hundred people in the pool with you already in there who have been baptized and then baptize you into the pool with all the other people who are in the pool. That would probably be a better symbol of what baptism is meant to be. We're baptized into a community. We're baptized into a shared pool. We're baptized into a shared existence. In Colossians 2, he says this, In Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. This is talking about uh, being uh, baptized and buried with him in baptism. Is that a part that you remember thinking about in your baptism ceremony a lot? Being buried with Jesus? Does that seem it's sort of in the background there somewhere? Yeah, there was a scripture that was something about that, and maybe there's something in the baptismal class about that. But what I want to show you is Paul, in the book of Romans 6, he takes that experience of being baptized into Christ's death, and we'll talk about the resurrection side uh, next week. But Paul in Romans 6 takes this idea of having been baptized into the death of Christ and puts that as something that is absolutely central uh, to our existence as Christians, absolutely central um, to our way of living together. So I'm just going to read this uh, with you. And sorry for the tech problem with the slides today. And what you're going to hear is the word death and buried and died an awful lot of times 
associated with baptism. But I want us to, to, to begin to dig into that and see what Paul has to say. So Paul is speaking to the church and he's saying, hey, uh, guys, uh, we've, we've just understood grace, but I want you to understand that grace isn't about you being free to sin more. So let's talk about how this all works. So what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, so all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have died with Christ. We believe that we will also live with him. So, in about six verses there, seven verses from verse 3 to verse 9, the Apostle Paul reminds us that we're dead nine times. So he's trying to get something across to us there. Now, this is, does not sound like the cheeriest sermon to have uh, when we're talking about baptism. But this is an absolute central reality to it. That idea of you being put down under the water symbolizes that part of your salvation means Part of you goes down and doesn't come back up. Part of you goes down and is not meant to come back up. We celebrate this. We celebrate our baptism. Uh, we clap. We applaud. Part of what we're clapping, applauding, celebrating is that you're dead. It's that you're dead. Uh, it speaks of, being, it says it in Colossians 2, 6 as well. You have been buried with him in baptism. Um, so how does that work? You've not been baptized into a pool. You've not just been baptized into a lake. You've not been baptized into a river. You've been baptized into a body. You've been baptized into a body that is, is dead. You've been baptized into a, a sense of having your life that you have lived up to the point of baptism being something that you are intentionally willfully, with the help of the Holy Spirit, letting go and leaving behind you. Anna, can I get you to do me a favor and close the downstairs door? I appreciate that, honey. I'm finding myself, and maybe that door too, I'm finding myself a little distracted by the kid music. <laughs> I'm dying here. Um, So that experience of baptism that you had, that you remember, or maybe it's something you're contemplating and you're thinking about and saying, hey, is this something I should participate in? It symbolizes something uh, that happened. And it symbolizes something that is meant to 
be happening. With salvation, as we're, we're taught about it from the scriptures, uh, there is a, a reality to what Jesus has done on the cross. There is a way in which this happened, and all of Paul's language here around our death is in the past tense. Uh, you have been baptized. But there's a reality in Paul's teaching where he's calling us uh, to not only have been saved, but you are being saved and you will be saved. There is a past and a present and a future reality to this. So the question for us is, what is the present reality of that for us like? What's the present reality of you being buried with Christ supposed to be about? What uh, What is going on here? Because the reality is, is that while Paul talks about it with incredible certainty, you have been buried, you are dead. I don't think it's true of your experience or mine that we don't wrestle with sin anymore. Is it true or, does, or am I the only one who sometimes wrestles with sin? Pastor's always raising his hand by himself. Always the only one. It really stinks. You can't, Craig's dad can't always talk about that. Man, I'm always the only one standing when I say the scene. How many remember the old movie uh, Princess Bride, right? Um, the uh, the the man in the black mask, and he I guess he's 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 dead. He's been through the pit of despair, and he's been killed by the machine. And they drag him sort of up to Miracle Max, and Miracle Max is going to kind of try to bring him bring him back to life, try to get some information out of him. And the Inigo Montoya, the Spaniard, kind of says, "Well, he he he." he uh, uh, he, he's dead, sir. He can't talk. Oh, look who knows so much. It just so happens your friend here is only mostly dead. And mostly dead? There's a big difference between being mostly dead and all dead. He's only slightly alive. Now, with all dead, there's only one thing you can do. Uh, go through his pockets and look for loose change. <laughs> Paul sees us as not being slightly dead. He sees us as being mostly dead. We're dead to sin in the sense that we've had a status change. What Christ did for us on the cross, when we entered in uh, to that experience of death with Christ, uh, for the for the Jewish reader, he wouldn't imagine that they, he is mostly dead or partly dead. He would imagine that something real happened there, and his mind would immediately go back uh, to the promised land story. Immediately go back from to the Exodus story. Immediately go back when Paul is using words like slavery, uh, that would immediately trigger them to be thinking about what happened uh, when they escaped from the promised land and were baptized through the Red Sea. Paul uh, is pointing them back to this. And what he's saying is, hey, you aren't useful to your slaveholders anymore. You aren't useful to sin anymore. You aren't interesting to sin anymore. You are not under the boot of sin anymore. You are not living in Egypt anymore. The man with the, the whip there who is standing over you, you're not compelled to sin anymore. You are not driven from the outside to sin anymore. You don't live in a context where sin is your existence anymore. You have gone through the waters of the Red Sea and you are dead to that. That's not your reality anymore. You are absolutely and completely free from that. 
we're meant to understand why Paul is emphasizing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, is to remind us that we deal with sin in a different way now than we did before. Before you knew Jesus, before you heard of him, before you uh, recognized what he did on the cross, you were literally enslaved to sin. You, you didn't have a choice. What Paul's saying to you now is that the wrestle that you have with sin is a wrestle within freedom, a wrestle within the bounds of accountability, a wrestle within the knowledge that you don't have to be that anymore. How do we understand it? How many of you uh, remember uh, or have been to a wedding before? You've seen Stefan and Emily. You've got one coming up, right? Uh, Stefan and Emily, let's give them a big hand. How many of you know that when Stefan and Emily get married, that's not the end of their marriage? There's a status change there. Uh, we're going to get dressed up. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. Uh, I'm going to say some, some words. We're going to do a legal thing. We're going to sign the documents. But there is something about the life of Stefan and Emily that will mean that they will have to daily choose not to continue to live as people of their former lives. They will daily have to choose now that they are married, now that they are within the bounds of marriage, now that that status has changed, will have to choose daily to live as people who are married, not as people who are single. Stefan, you are still going to have to uh, be really nice to Emily and do the dishes and uh, serve her and you're going to have to pick up your socks and all of that kind of stuff. And Emily, you're, you've got obligations, Stefan. Uh, well, I'm not going to get into gender roles here in terms of, uh, you know, you're not going to have to be in the kitchen doing the dishes. Uh, you're going to be out making the bacon and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, there's a reality to uh, how we work and live and move and serve in marriage that is this incredible Um, battle to love one another. It's a battle to serve one another. It's a battle to be the lowest. It's a battle to be the most giving. It's a battle to be the most generous. And the reality of your status change uh, from being in the kingdom of sin, from being in Egypt, from being a person who was in that context to who you are now is that now it is a battle for you to live in your freedom. It's a battle for you every day to walk out the freedom that Jesus has given you. It's a battle for you to stay free. So let's just ask the question. How are you thinking today about your faith and your battle against sin? Like We we are forgiven. We have been saved. But are you thinking about your life and who you are now as a person who is being saved? Are you thinking about yourself as a person who is in the trenches with your brothers and sisters in Christ, baptized into this community as a people who have sin as something that they still have to live free from? You see the people uh, walking through the promised land, they remembered Egypt. They thought, I would like to go back there where there was meat. That's the reality of us living now, free. We remember our bondage. We remember our slavery. And there's something, if we're honest, about us that wants to go back to it.
And so are you at battle with yourself to be free? Uh, Paul talks about it in other contexts, putting to death the old man inside of us, putting to death that old person inside of us. We uh, are dead, but we need to work to stay dead. Romans 6, 11 to 12, it says, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. So your status has changed. You're not living under the reign of sin, but you can let sin reign. You can let it reign inside of you. You aren't forced to let it reign inside of you. You aren't uh, stuck in that kingdom. You aren't enslaved anymore. But you can choose that slavery. You can choose to let that thing be your king again. And so the question for you, and I think the question for me is, is are, are we just, are we engaged in that battle? Or are we just sort of living like that old self is still kind of in the driver's seat? You know, we do this even like from, a, from the perspective of kind of therapeutic Christianity sometimes. We sort of think, yeah, you know what? Uh, I kind of like have these habits, but it's, you know, it's kind of a genetic thing. It's like uh, my, my family wrestled with that. Uh, it's a it's a part of my history. I mean, there's just so much temptation around. There's there's so much difficulty out there. Uh, it's just sort of we we kind of take that sin on. We take that temptation on as sort of a part of our our identity. What Paul's saying is that is is dead. And if we're taking it on as part of our identity, we've we've chosen it, and we're accountable for it. Right? This is a bit harsh. It's a bit difficult. But uh, we have that wrestle. And we have that battle. And, and Paul goes on through Romans 6 and all the way into Romans 7 to talk about what it is. He talks about his own wrestle. He says things like, you know, hey, I've been uh, a guy who does the things that I don't want to do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing all the time. I'm fighting. I'm, I'm, I'm in this battle with you but we need to be battling. Uh, the encouragement that I want to draw from this text when we talk about it, when we talk about unity, is that everywhere in this text, when it says you, it doesn't say you singularly. It doesn't say you by yourself. You is always plural. You is always uh, all y'all. You is always you together. When we look at this, uh, Romans 11 and 12, if you remember uh, that I just read it, um, you might must consider yourselves dead to sin. And you must put sin to death in your mortal bodies. That doesn't mean it's your job to kill off your friends. <laughs> but it means that you have friends with you in the journey who are supposed to help. That's why there's things like confession. There's, that's why there's things like uh, relationship. The Christian journey is 100% a group project. It's something that we're meant to do together. 
There's a battle to be fought. There's a battle to keep fighting. There's a reality uh, for us there. Uh, Remembrance Day is coming, and so I want to conclude with a story that kind of uh, leaves us with a thought about uh, some of those uh, soldiers and, and some of that story of the Second World War. And what I'm going to share with you is just a poem um, from a soldier who survived the beach at Normandy. He was a Christian, and he had um, a, a, a really unique experience um, when he was coming into the beach, coming in on the troop transports. And I don't know if you can picture what those things are like, these sort of big rectangular boats. And they would come in, and they would get close to the shore, and the front of the boat would come down, and they would be able to run down the ramp, sort of through the water, and up onto the beach and to fight. He describes the experience of kind of in the rush to run down the, the ramp of the boat onto the beach, kind of falling off the side and falling into the water. And, and he had an experience in a moment of terror where he actually in that moment felt like he was drowning. He felt like he was almost dead. And what he describes from that moment forward is, is going into the battle and going into the beach um, already dead, already uh, with the, the battle over in a sense, already with everything that he was trying to preserve about himself, everything that he was trying to protect about his life uh, had been left in that water. And that he was going now to fight as kind of a, a resurrected person for whom death didn't matter. And he was able to fight with a new courage. And he walked through uh, life and walked through that battle like that. And the poem goes like this. Pounding waters stirred with blood brothers baptized in the churn. Baptized again in Jesus', Jesus death, all our lives laid down. Alive in death we freely gave, our blood spilled on the beach, united in our brotherhood, one with Christ upon the sand. And now we lie beneath the turves, brothers rest in hallowed, hallowed ground, Baptize in the battle's flood, soon to rise with trumpet sound. That's our story. We have been baptized into death that we may fight the resurrected life. We may fight the battle against sin, that we may fight uh, the battle for the life of our friends, for our brothers, for our sisters. We may fight the fight of evangelism and care and love for those in the world that we might cause the body of Christ to be a greater, bigger, healthier, broader body of Christ. Through death, through baptism into Christ's death, we're made free to fight and to live. Let's, let's stand. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.